0: The 4 O'Clock Football Frenzy with Cofield and Company.
1: You know, we just mentioned the Aviators playing tonight in game number two over at LV Ballpark. Uh, If you don't go out to the game, don't forget, you can hear it on Raider Nation Radio 920, one of our other stations starting at 650. Russ Langer on the call. You guys both sent this over. I don't know what the tone was when you sent over the news that the Jets may have offered one of their first round picks for DK Metcalf. What do you think my reaction to this is going to be that they potentially got turned down if this really did happen? I mean, well, if they didn't have another first round pick, I'm sure you
2: probably wouldn't be thrilled with it, but they do have another first round pick at four. Um, And obviously DK Metcalf would be a game changer for the offense. So I'm sure you're disappointed.
1: No, not at all. I don't trust him. I don't I don't trust DK Metcalf if things aren't Russell Wilson-like a quarterback. Well, I mean... I don't, I-, I don't know that he'll be a good soldier around the current situation, around Drew Locke. And I don't know that he would be cooperative around Zach Wilson. Well, I don't know if he would either. But I'll take my chances that
2: he is more, more cooperative or more helpful than a...
1: Complete unknown at number ten, but this is weird for you because you're always in rebuilding mode, and I fight you on he's this. He's twenty-four. Yeah, I don't want him.
2: <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not asking you to trade for a thirty-year-old well, here, receiver. Here's, here's
1: the other reason I don't want him. I, I don't, don't like, know what he is. I don't. I don't like. I think he's twenty-six, but okay. I don't like where the wide receiver market has gone. No, of course. I not. think it's too much money out of your cap. Twenty-four. a oh, good guess. Good knowledge. This has gotten kind of crazy. It has, but the, we'll, but we'll, get, we'll also, get to we'll get to how Stefan Diggs' deal actually could affect the Raiders. Um, we'll get to that in the five o'clock. Could affect hour. the Bills, and it could affect the Bills. <laughs> because I mean, I, I just I don't I I'm sorry I don't know that I don't know why I'm sorry I don't believe that receivers are worth twenty two to thirty million dollars a year. I mean, it, it it certainly depends on how much of a
2: game changer they are. I think a guy like Tyree kill completely changed the complexion of an offense in Kansas city. I don't
1: know that he does the same thing in Miami. Yeah. Um, here's the, and here's the problem with the jets. Like if it were Herbert and you look at it where your quarterback is still not getting paid real money. So you've got flexibility to, to bring in a receiver at a high dollar amount. That's fine. I don't think the jets have Justin Herbert. I think the jets may have to hit restart again, that quarterback. Well, I, and I might agree, but so here, they might, they, they might but be, that's also like, I don't know if they're in year what, two of the rebuild with Zach Wilson, There might be in year like negative two. Well, I agree, but that's also, what, okay, there's a couple of things at
2: play here. Yes, I am always in perpetual re- rebuild mode, but what is my number one thing to start the rebuild? A quarterback on a rookie contract. That is when you go for it. And there's a couple of reasons why you go for it then. One, because you can spend money at other positions because you have a quarterback on a very good deal that's managed, that you understand, you don't have to pay a whole lot of money for him, so you can spend in other positions. And you have to do it, what the Miami Dolphins are doing with Tua is not—it's not a hundred percent. We're in. We believe Tua is the guy. We're right. in. It's this is going to tell us if he's the guy because if he doesn't flourish with this, okay, he's never going to flourish. And that's what you have to do with the Jets too because you could easily say, you know, for how long do we do it with Sam Darnold? And I still think Sam Darnold hasn't been in a good situation in his career. But for how long were we like we don't know anything about Sam Darnold? He's got a garbage team around him. So I think you what you do with a quarterback and a rookie deal like Wilson who I don't think is any good. But you 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 come in and you say, we're going to give you a superstar receiver. We're going to draft a couple of linemen for you in the first round. We're going to go out there and see. If you can't perform here, you're
1: never going to get it. So we yeah, can move I, on. I, I think they're too far off to take on a you know twenty two to $25 million receiver. They've got four picks in the top 38 this year. Make all the picks. Just make all the picks. You'll get a determination. You don't have to have DK Metcalf to decide that Zach Wilson was a bad pick. Well, and, he's and, gonna, you're going to find out this year.
2: I know you get this, but I'm going I'm saying it for the audience right. of, say you there's, there's a receiver at 10, say Drake London, what, whoever you want to say, uh, Alave or Jameson Williams, whatever. You pick a receiver at 10, and it doesn't work out, and the offense isn't very good. And you're like, man, Zach Wilson's no good. So you, you get rid of him and get another quarterback, and still the receiver isn't doing anything. So is it the receiver or the quarterback? Like when you know that DK Metcalf is awesome, hmm that's that's why you're doing it to say, okay, we, we know one variable, we take one variable out of the equation. We know that the receiver is good. So if the quarterback can't work with him, the
1: quarterback is no good.
2: And and so, but if it's a receiver and a quarterback, you don't know which one is no good. That's why you're do, that's why you make these investments now.
1: From the Jets, I'd rather get more linemen and cornerbacks. Sure. Those so, are premium positions. Uh, I'll use those top picks for that, and then I'll see what's around a wide receiver 35 and 38. Yeah, those are premium positions those are good move. especially in the afc my god the afc is just it's just outrageous yeah i mean i think it's going to be cyclical as as quarterbacks are making more and more money and teams do sign receivers to 25 and 30 million dollar contracts those teams are going to be depleted in other areas in a couple of years there's going to be this constant like hey do we do we look to the future do we go for it now so teams at the bottom have time to be patient i don't i don't like being in rebuild with the jets for freaking seemingly <laughs> 10 years now. It's not a good position, but they're so far. The, the The problem is they're they're coming from so far back because the previous GMs were so bad. It's like no one on the roster from previous drafts. Socks. Yeah,
2: yeah, it 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 just reminded me right now, but as we're talking about it, but the in terms of the quarterbacks and the contracts, we you know we we had a conversation with a uh, Cincinnati uh, insider yesterday. Was it yesterday? I, yesterday I was yes. The time. Uh, and then the, all of a sudden the, the, comments come out from the executive of Cincinnati. That's like, I don't like these guaranteed, these guaranteed contracts for quarterbacks. I'm not really comfortable with them. Like, uh-huh. Oh, oh boy. too late, bro. <laughs> oh boy. Too late. It's it, by the way, sexist is a female. Oh really? Yeah. Wow. Part of the, part of the Brown lineage.
1: Uh, so Adam's had a chub over Malik Willis. Since uh, you saw him in Indianapolis, you like him. You like his personality. Like the physical traits as well. What about Desmond Ritter, Cincinnati kid?
2: So I might have told this uh, story in the air, just on a on the side note. When I uh, sat down at a restaurant in Indianapolis at a combine, and I had a had a UNLV hat on, and noticed Carson Strong, Reno quarterback, uh, sitting next to me, and you know, kind of like joked about the hat, had a little conversation. He was sitting with Desmond Ritter. So basically, was next to Ritter and Strong for a dinner. Um, his, I thought his interview went well. I thought he he looked he looked fine. I wasn't blown away. I know that there are some scouts now that um, are really, you know, talking him up, getting excited about him uh, as a prospect. Uh, I, I think he he can be good. He's had you know obviously a lot of a lot of experience, a lot of high level experience at Cincinnati uh, with the big games that they've played. Um, I'm not blown away by him necessarily, but he was a good dude. And um, just a kind of side silly note, was very excited that he saw himself on SportsCenter while he was sitting at the table at the restaurant and was like taking video of himself on the screen uh, as, he was, as he was having dinner, which I always enjoy that there's still that kind of youthful exuberance about a guy. So? I wouldn't be taking him. The <laughs> <first round. laughs> Where is he? I, he, he, I mean, we know that people get carried away with quarterbacks. Right. So he may go in the first round, and the, the momentum is there. I just wouldn't pick him in the first round. By the way, I'd pick exactly – I was going to say zero. I, I think Willis would be the only guy I would even consider in the first round, but I think there will be more than one.
1: Von Tobel already bet over – did he bet over? No, he bet under the two-and-a-half. I think I have that right. He bet under the two-and-a-half quarterbacks taken in the first round. Too risky? I mean, someone jump in the back of the first round and, and grab one of these guys? It's possible. We know that you know you do that to lock in the rookie
2: quarterback contract. You want five years instead of four on a developing quarterback, so it's possible that somebody does that. Um, it's possible they all fall. Like, I've seen mock drafts. Uh, who was it? Um, I think Bucky Brooks had his his mock draft with zero quarterbacks taken. I, I had two. They are five and six uh, with a trade to five for the Lions and picking Willis and then pick it going six because it sounds like – Management in Carolina is very excited about Kenny Pickett. Uh so I, I think there might be two. I wouldn't I would I would pick one in the first round. That's the only guy I would take in the first round is Willis. Uh, but people do fall in love with quarterbacks.
0: Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. You
2: gotta run it back with the big three. I feel like they're gonna run it back with the big three because I feel like they're they're not gonna be able to move with
0: Westbrook and they'll be out their mind to trade Anthony Davis for anything less than a Jokic or Embiid or a player to that caliber, Now you have to figure out the other is Everybody else has to go. Hanging at the Battle Born Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company.
1: Sad close. Basically close to the season for the Lakers last night. Kendrick Perkins talking about the big three. We'll get to that in just a couple minutes with uh, L.A. guy, Vegas guy, former UNL quarterback Caleb Herring is up with us here on a Wednesday. Caleb, how you doing?
3: What's up, Steve? How you doing, man? It's been I'm great. i have in, in a in good mood. Lakers, I, but-
1: I just found out that uh, – we'll get to your Lakers in a second. I just found out that the Jets actually uh, got snubbed on offering the 10th pick for D.K. Metcalf. I want picks. Am I crazy? Adam was making the case that uh, Metcalf would be a great addition for the Jets. I assume, I'm i assuming it would have cost a 10th pick and, and, and some more. Uh, who's right on this? Should the Jets have really,
3: really wanted D.K. Metcalf? I, I don't see why. I, and I I, I heard a little bit of what you were saying and the value of receivers, um, I think overvalued with the $20 million plus contracts. Um, I, I don't think you put a receiver in a position where he doesn't have anything else. I mean, you, you spend so much money on a receiver and don't really get much from him because you don't know if your quarterback's the guy. Um, if you're the Jets, and then you don't really have much of a team outside of if you did go for that receiver outside of a receiver who's one of the most dependent positions on the football field. So um, I, I don't think that would have been the answer for the Jets. Yeah, it sounds good to have a big name, a talented guy receiver, but it means nothing in the grand scheme of things if you can't win. I think, uh, kill him, I, just
2: kill him. I think you just took my side without even knowing. Did, did I really? No. Yeah. No, <laughs> you didn't. You said you don't know what you have with with Wilson. And my my response was, "Yeah, that's why you get DK Metcalf cuz if he if Wilson still stinks with Metcalf, now you know."
3: Well, that's a $20 million experiment. And I don't think you have $20 million just to be figuring out if you if you if you're doing experiments like that to figure out if the quarterback if Wilson's the guy or not, then whoever drafted him um is showing how incompetent they are in evaluating talent you shouldn't need a $20 million receiver to tell if a quarterback has it or not. Like give him a chance to play. And if he has it, he has it. Granted. Yeah. You might say he could win with weapons at the end of this, but you shouldn't need a $20 million weapon to know if your quarterbacks worth being the quarterback of the future. I mean, there should be plenty of other measuring sticks that are much more cost effective um, than, than spending $20 million on a receiver for a year just to lose anyway. Right. So I, I, yeah, I get that. I get that argument. But I don't know if I waste $20 million to figure that out. And if that's if that's the real value of getting DK Metcalf, then my team's already in shambles, right? That's that's how I look at it.
2: Well, it's also not a true $20 million receiver because $20 million receivers when you have a $45 million quarterback are one thing. $20 million receivers when you have a 4 or $5 million quarterback are totally different.
3: I, and that's true. And I, that kind of goes to my – I think your point, too, obviously, and having cheaper quarterbacks to have better teams. Um, but I think if you take an overvalued quarterback contract, let's say, and replace it with an overvalued wide receiver contract, now you have the same issue. You can't build a winning team when you're when you have overvalued players on the roster. And I think, yeah, you you, you want to take advantage of the fact that you have a cheap wide receiver or a cheap quarterback right now, um, but you don't want to waste all the, the excess money that you have or cap space that you have. On one receiver because then it kind of defeats the purpose of having a cheap quarterback with the cheap quarterback go out and build a solid roster first and if DK Metcalf is the one piece that you need to put your team over the top and, and really become contenders in the division then yeah I, I understand it but you don't even have the, the the ground floor of the building yet if you're the Jets so um, there's a lot more building to do before you start going after 20 million dollar or more receivers or any position really for the Jets let's build a team first and then see what pieces we can fill with the blockbuster trades or the the massive contracts.
1: Caleb Herring is with us. We got UNLV spring practice going down on uh, Tuesday, Thursdays, and Saturdays. Yesterday we talked to Marcus Arroyo. We talked to some of the receivers. We talked about the receiving depth that has increased, the receiving room depth that's increased, offensive line. I wanted to start with going back to last year, because uh, the goal here is to take more deep shots, have more deep threats the guy that we saw the most Cameron Friel, is he a good deep pass thrower?
3: I think he does have it. I think he has deep, but I don't think he's better than Doug. For instance, we, we didn't see much of Doug, but I think um, um, Cameron Friel does have a deep ball uh, in his, in his repertoire. There's a, a couple of throws that he made that you saw it. And then there's also some inconsistency with the deep throws where some, some balls were left behind that could have been touchdowns. Um, had he put it out on the money, but, Yeah, listen, I think all the quarterbacks in the room are are capable of throwing the deep ball. Um, It's just a matter of who can do it the most consistently. And like I said, without having Doug on the field for much of last year, um, Cameron Friel in the time that he was out there being inconsistent and Harrison Bailey, for all I've seen of him throwing, he's got a very good deep ball as well. So it makes sense that um, when you look at the way that they, I guess, recruited at the quarterback position and what the quarterbacks are capable of doing it makes sense that the offense would be kind of tailored to the deep ball. It's, it's kind of what we've been hearing from the receivers and even Coach Roy and the, and the quarterbacks as well, is the, the big shots that they want to look to take downfield. As a as a numbers guy, Adam, I know you're a numbers guy. Um, I think that favors the analytics of the game, right? Take more shots down the field. So it um, looks like Coach Roy and, and the players are buying into that big shots or nothing type of type of thinking, at least, um, this in the early stages of spring ball.
1: Yeah, last year, if I'm recalling correctly, uh, Kyle Williams, Al Griffin, Steve Jenkins all got some deep shots that worked. They brought in Ricky White, who's a transfer from Michigan State, standing next to him yesterday, talking to him for a little bit. He's probably closer to, you know, a little over six foot to 6'1", and I thought it was interesting. I don't think there's any, you know, uh, real indicator here yet, but when we were given an opportunity to talk to some receivers, we were given Kyle Williams, who's a third-year sophomore, um, you know, pretty highly decorated his first year, accomplished player. And then we were given Ricky White. So, I'm encouraged by that. I think that means that Ricky White is definitely in the mix to be out there a lot.
3: Yeah, he's he's. It looks like he's going to be featured, right? And it's not like a hide the hide this away from. Like, hey, we're making it known that this is kind of what we see as our one-two punch with the two receivers, like you mentioned, uh, Kyle coming back and Ricky, uh, who obviously is is highly. I guess a claim in from Michigan with, 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 or excuse me, yeah when, when he had a huge game against Michigan. Right. Um, and everybody's been talking about that coming to UNLV and how talented he looked in that game and that display he put on. Um, so now it's kind of like the secrets out. Like we're not trying to hide this, like, Hey, we're going to go ahead and, and get behind this and pub- uh, publicize it as much as we can. Um, That's kind of what it feels like. And that feels good coming from UNOV where it's like, hey, give us what we want. We want to know about this Ricky guy. And here he is. He's going to talk to you after spring practice. Um, And it seems like they're gelling fine. The receivers in the receiver group, they talked about um, spending time together off the field and and on the field and kind of getting their chemistry down. And and what they see themselves as being capable of during this season in the Mountain West and how talented they feel they are. Um, and then, importantly, I think Kyle Williams talked about his uh, chip on his shoulder that he had with uh, finishing the year last year with an injury where he wasn't able to really be as impactful as he wanted to be. Um, and then having that kind of that kind of attitude coming into this year and having something to prove still this year is, is really big. And it goes a long way toward making that receiver room even better. And we talked about last last week when Harrison Bailey said that the receiving group is is probably one of the best he's been around. They could start. Where he came from and all and you know, people kind of rose their eyebrows at that, like, well, what are you saying? Maybe he's over exaggerating. But when you look at some of the receivers that they have in that room, I mean, Ricky White obviously has proven that he can at that level, right? He's he was there. Um Kyle Williams has been he was a freshman of the year in, in the Mountain West, and he's shown glimpses of that talent. Zyle Griffith as well. Steve Jenkins has been a guy that's explosive at dynamic. When we look at we look at how deep the receiving core is. And then you throw in some of the tight ends also, that, that Kuei Oletoe who showed that he can do some things at the tight end position, making the switch over there. There's been some some glimpses of why you could say this skill set for the receivers and for the tight end and skill positions on offense is one of the best that we've seen in a long time, from top to bottom, from a UNLV football team. So it makes you kind of excited to see what's going to happen in the season.
1: Yeah, I thought it was also interesting. You know, you mentioned Kyle Williams and the injuries, and he really had, he had a hammy for much Of the season, and I was asking uh, Marcus Arroyo about, you know, off-season tweaks, right? What do you do? How do you you stay healthier as a group? Because by the end of the year last year with the receivers, it was ridiculous. I mean, Marcus Phillips, a walk-on, stepped up. uh, But, you know, on the original depth chart, he was like 8th, ninth, or 10th. The Air Force game, it seemed like everyone was out of the game. Um, And one of the things he pointed to is the fact that, hey, with better depth overall, that means that we don't have to force guys back on the field. Because you remember last year, Caleb, they – kept trying to get and i'm sure kyle williams wanted to get out there they kept trying to get kyle williams out there and it was just like it's not ready but they really didn't have many options
3: yeah and it was one of the more frustrating things about it because you know the desire of the player is always going to be to get back on the field well presumably always to be to get back on the field um but sometimes injuries just just linger if you keep playing And i think you saw that with kyle last year where his desire to get back on the field and maybe the necessity of having him back on the field at times during the season kind of forced those injuries to linger on, especially when you're dealing with hamstrings and, and knee injuries and things like that at receiver, those things are going to linger. If you keep trying to get reps and sometimes if you have depth and not just in game reps, talk about practice reps. Also, like you got, you got to think about how many reps in practice add up during the season. If you have depth or how hey, you can say I'm gonna give my twos more reps this, this week in practice. And then kind of save my ones for the game. Um, those kind of benefits of having depth in at any position really uh, go a long way towards keeping guys fresh late in the season. You don't see those injuries linger as much. You can minimize the reps during the offseason, which I'm, I'm sure they're they're taking into account now during spring ball and kind of spacing out their practices a little bit more, um, just trying to minimize the reps that the guys are getting so the miles on their legs don't add up. So you're you're limping to the end of the season like we saw last season. It was it was definitely. Um, a factor going into last season that not having depth at, at the receiver group, and, and you, you see that was a focus of this offseason. They've, they've definitely built depth in that in that position group, and we'll see if it pays benefits during the season.
1: Caleb, what's the latest with the uh, UNLV Hall of Fame?
3: Well, it's exciting. I, I we, We've we've got probably one of the bigger Hall of Fame classes. It's been a few years. I think 2017 was the last, um, last Hall of Fame induction ceremony that UNLV had, which is quite a while ago, but um, Harp, uh, Yad Eric Harper, he's done a really good job. He's been really vocal on um, the really push for having uh, this new 2022 um, Hall of Fame class. And we, we've got the voting in, we've got a couple more committee meetings and some announcements on, on when and the pricing and all that stuff of what's going to happen. But we've got, um, I think, uh, 11 inductees going into the UNLV, UNLV Hall of Fame this year. Um, which is a pretty big class, and um, that's it's it's it's. I think it's one of those things that that Harper, uh, Harp wanted to get um, the alumni back involved into the program and start kind of building up that tradition of sports and academic and athletic excellence. Um, so people have something to have pride in. I think the Hall of Fame class is one of those things that you can do to kind of re-spark and reengage the alumni population that UNOV has. So I'm excited. I'm excited that I'm actually a part of it for the first time. I'm a part of the the Hall of Fame committee, so it's 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 a fun thing for me. It's going to be cool to get um, to be around all those UNLV legends that are going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame this year.
1: Lakers done officially. You're a Lakers fan. I know this is a long time coming. And now you start to look forward, and yeah, I don't want to make it sound like it's a hopeless situation, but they've got some a serious deal here to dig out of. And then the other part of it is like LeBron is openly talking about his, you know, his next stops or desires to go play elsewhere. Like, I I don't know what the hell's going on with the future of the Lakers.
3: And this was my fear um, way back when we, you know, drafted so many young talented players and then we traded them all away. Um, And everybody was so excited to get Anthony Davis. And it was like, yeah, we won the bubble championship. Um, But this was the fear. This is the part that you worry about where now, you don't really have a direction, a future on what you want to build with. You got a bunch of old veterans, um, and an unreliable superstar in Anthony Davis, who hasn't played a full season yet as a Laker. He's he's been in and out of the lineup with injury, and and like you said, LeBron James kind of has the Lakers' future hanging in the balance right now with what with what he wants to do. Um, and I think that's where the Lakers are now. They're they're in a, a position where. It's pretty much what LeBron wants to do. If AD wants to remain, I don't know. And it's frustrating. It's really frustrating to look at the young talent that we had on the roster um, in LA now blossoming into and, and reaching in some ways their potential elsewhere. Um, and to think that it could have been the Lakers with that future, you know, it, it's it's frustrating. And it, this was a tough, probably the toughest season I can remember as a Laker fan. Um, but we'll see if they can dig themselves out of this one. I I don't see a solution they're going to probably have to ride it out with that core group of aging veterans again um, for next year. But I I don't see a plausible solution in the near future for the Lakers, which is is tough to say.
2: I think you'd be excited about rebuilding around Westbrook, right? That'd be fun.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I'd I'd enjoy watching somebody average a triple-double for a season, maybe. But I don't know if I'd build a team around the Russell Westbrook project. I think – A couple of different franchises have tried that and it just it's not a winning formula to say the least
1: caleb we appreciate it we'll talk to you next week okay good luck man
3: (laughs) all
1: right fat pack is coming up we're also going to get into the uh path of the draft and talk to uh, bob fesco about the chiefs but uh i will bite on this one i just saw a tweet out there from football outsiders that said after a rough year raiders fans are thrilled to see what Devontae Adams and Chandler Jones do for their offense and defense this season.
0: After a rough year, huh? Cofield and Company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. You're live with the Fat Pack on Cofield and Company.
1: I don't care if the sun don't shine. I do my drinking in the evening time when I'm in Las Vegas. You can sit in the sun and camp. I get my color from a sunray lamp when I'm in Las Vegas. Just past the halfway point of a Wednesday Cofield and company. I was just talking about a tweet that was sent out by the football outsiders, uh, analytics dorks. Um, after a rough year, Raiders fans are thrilled to see what Devontae Adams and Chandler Jones can do this season. After a rough year. They went 10-7, and and they lost – Near the buzzer against the Super Bowl rep from the AFC, their numbers weren't great. They overcame that, so I wouldn't say that the Raiders had a rough year. Um, well, I mean, it, it is Football Outsiders, uh, which is an analytics site, right.
2: and they, I think, have the best rankings of any of I any. Site. I think
1: their rankings are good, but the call a ten and seven playoff season when you've failed and flopped in previous seasons for years sure. and years and years. It was a step forward. Well, they were. They actually took a step backward in terms of how good they were. Right. If, you're, if, you're, if you're using it as a predictor of what could happen this year, then I understand it. But the year in the end was, I mean, if you wrote after a rough year off the field. Sure. Well, that that's me. good. Or after a rough year, Alex, for Alex Leatherwood, which they include Leatherwood. It's just, it's, yeah. it's the, the tweet is written in clunky fashion, but I also feel like it was kind of done on purpose just as bait so that people will react and go, rough year. Well, actually,
2: actually, now that you say it, I do think they mean off the field. Um, but after a rough year, Raiders fans are thrilled to see what Devontae Adams and Chandler Jones can do for their offense and defense. But the player who ultimately decides their season could be Alex Leatherwood. So it could either be referring to Leatherwood or or off the field. Or, as I said, they were the 21st best team in the league according to Football Outsiders. So I would say that's sort of a rough I, year.
1: You, you also threw something out the other day, and I just ignored it. It was probably yesterday, where you threw out um, something to the effect of like no one thinks the Raiders had a good season. I'll have to go back. I, I don't. But I think they said nobody thinks they were a good team. They were a good team. Yeah, well, they there are a lot of people who think they were good. Team. Or, so, I mean, nobody that, pay, well, that nobody that pays attention. That's, that's your opinion, sure. And by the numbers, but ten and seven is a good team result. Making the playoffs is a good team result. They yeah. had a minus sixty-six point differential. Sixty-five of it was against the Chiefs. So people need to stop quoting that one. That's stupid. They matched up poorly and didn't make any defensive adjustments sure. against the Chiefs and got blown off the field. Well I
2: mean that is still that's still the team that you're competing with and you weren't ready to compete. You were clearly inferior. So I, I mean that that counts. Right. Um and yeah, they were the they were not inside the top twenty of teams in the league. I would say that probably wasn't a very by good
1: By analytics.
2: Right. But by results they were. They made the playoffs. Right, but I, but yes. That's true. But I mean, this is not a new thing. This is not like we're talking about the Raiders. This is a consistent thing for a long time. Like it's it's what that's what we've we that's what I have said for a long time. It's sure, you can make the playoffs, you can be a good team. The best team doesn't always win. That's a consistent theme for me on this show. Um, does anybody think Kansas was the best
1: team in the NCAA? Of course they do, yes. No. Yes. Does okay. anybody. You, but when you say does anybody, lots of people think they're the best team. They have a tournament. They won six games. Lots of people think they're the national champion. Does anybody but, but your but close you're, attention? But your whole take on well, – it's not even close attention. Your whole take on head-to-head matchups don't mean anything. you got to play 100 times. Well, that's not the way sports works. So yeah. there are lots of people who believe Kansas was the legitimate national champion, which means but, they were the best team.
2: Kansas is the legitimate national champion. Yes. A, a tournament does
1: not determine the best team. It de- determines who wins the tournament. So who was the best team? You just go to Ken Palm and Gonzaga. You know, overmatched physically, they're the best team. Yeah, I think I think on body of work, they were. Ooh, that now that now you're going down a shaky path. Body of work with what eighteen games in the West Coast Conference. Well, no, it was their non-conference
2: that made them the number one. <laughs> they were not the number one team post non-conference play. Did they beat Duke
1: or lose to him? That they lost. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And Duke would have been favored over Kansas too.
1: Uh, Ken Palm had. Gonzaga 1 at the end of the year. Houston 2, right? Houston 2, Kansas 3.
2: And Houston, by the way, Houston made a deep run in the tournament without two of their best players. Mm-hmm.
1: And that's why I also was saying yesterday that if you can get Houston at 14, 16, 18-1 for the national title, look at it. Cuz they also have the they have the Gonzaga-like advantage. And again, I'm not an anti-mid-major conference guy at all, but the AAC is not the Big 10, is not being careful the Big 12. <laughs> I don't love the bottom of the SEC, so. Yeah. Question for you, because, uh, you know, with uh, football outsiders, is definitely always a good jab at old timers, right? The way conventional thinking goes in sports, that sure. results are all that matters. Did you see that the New York Times is getting rid of the agate page? The agate page is that, you know, one of those last pages where all the stats and standings are on. Something that I did early in my career. We all did it, right? Yeah. And I only worked in newspapers for a little bit, but. Agate is torture, but people love that page. I think I told you it was probably off the air. I was around someone who's got a husband who's like 65 years old, and they're like, you know, complaining that the agate page or the TV listings had gotten smaller with their paper. Like, that's why they get the paper. They love the sports section to look at that. Are you sad as a newspaper person that you're getting rid of the standings and agate pages when that is part of your core audience? This is the transition. To trying to become, you know, sleeker, have more content, and become more web based, you get rid of the standing stage.
2: Yeah, and, and it's a it's a long running debate. Like this is not a new debate. This is a debate that we've had in the newsroom for at least ten years, probably longer, since I've been uh, at the newspaper, where as you kind of just reference without saying it, old people love it. And that's who the core audience of newspapers be. Well, how do you attract younger readers? You kind of go away from some of that stuff. Well, then now you're turning off the core audience. But do you want to court new people to read, or do you want to just cater to the people that have been reading it for a long time? It's a really tough choice. And by the way, it's very labor intensive.
1: Yes, it sucks to do it. I did it for I did it five days a week for a long it time. Sucks. It sucks. Yep. Here's here's the other question though. As the page uh, evolved, the Agate page with all standing and stats, it also got smaller in print. So how is that actually helping older people who can't see? Well, they, I mean, using your glasses? magnifying glass. Yeah, wear your glasses. Well, at that point. It's not, the, it's not so small you can't see it without I glasses. Can't, I can't see crap. Good Lord. See, on my phone, I can, I can enlarge everything. Yeah, your phone is massive. It's unbelievable. Not the size of the phone. The print is already big, and I still can't see it. Steve can fit like three letters from every, <laughs> from every from everything he's reading into one
2: screen. <laughs> It, and that's not, that's not a joke. When he's reading something, there's like three letters across the line.
1: Uh, we got concert tickets. Let's give them out. Ticket windows open with Ari. 364 1100 364 1100. Megadeth, Lamb of God coming up this weekend. It's a Saturday show. You can get your own tickets at axs.com. The show goes down at Mandalay Bay. Two tickets right now Megadeth, Lamb of God in town this weekend at Mick Ultra Arena. Ari's got your tickets. 364 1100 coming up. We preview. The uh, Chiefs and what they're going to do in the draft, and also review what they've done so far in the offseason.
0: Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. It's time for Cofield and Company's Path to the Draft.
1: So as we count down the draft, it's time to look at the Kansas City Chiefs. Bob Fesco is in from 610 Sports. But before the Chiefs, we do have to get a little bit on uh, Kansas winning the national title. So what's the vibe in KC uh, now a day and a half after KU gets the national title?
4: You know, I think people are really excited that they won the championship, obviously. But now everybody's looking forward to what's going to happen with the NCAA sanctions. Like, is something negative going to happen towards the Kansas program? Because it's been going on for like a thousand days now where they've been like reviewing this program to see, you know, what they may have done wrong back in like I don't know 1955 or whatever it was and so I think there's a little trepidation right now from a lot of fans clearly all the uh you know other fan bases the K-States the Missouris the Oklahoma states are hoping big sanctions are coming towards Kansas but I think you know when from from winning a championship perspective I think there's a lot more relief than anything because it's been 14 years and an organization that's had the opportunity to win championships that has underachieved a lot over those last 14 years so I think it's I think it's relief I think it's joy but now it's also like all right what's coming
2: up next
1: In the end, I mean, what could they do that's really going to have any sort of impact? They're going to take away the title. No one cares about that. We still recognize anyone who wins a national title. What could they do that could be really debilitating to Bill Self and KU?
4: Well, I I think the only thing that I've heard so far that they could potentially do is not give the team a postseason ban, but give Bill Self as the coach a postseason ban. So he can coach the team all the way up until the Big 12 tournament, and then he's suspended for the postseason. That's kind of been floated out there. I just think right now with the NCAA and the way we're looking at things, they realize Kansas is a big-time moneymaker for them. They sell out the arenas in which they play. People watch them on TV. It's a premier program, and if you ban Kansas from the postseason, you're kind of cutting your nose off to spite of your face a little bit. So I think they're probably going to end up just doing something to Bill Self because there's also now the Oklahoma State one that you look at, Steve, where they suspended a program and players that had nothing to do with anything that happened. And I'm hoping the NCAA learned a lesson from that with the outrage that took place. Like, why penalize kids who are student athletes for something that they didn't do that happened before them? So they should just punish the coaches in these situations.
1: Bob Fesco's is with us. Let's look at the uh, Chiefs offseason and then the draft and then some future bets. As well. All right. First of all, the uh, I guess the shocker or was it a shocker? Tyreek Hill is gone. What's your reaction to that?
4: Well, I, I'm, I'm glad he got traded because they got a whole, a whole haul in return. I mean, they got five draft picks and essentially $70 million in cap money over the next couple of years that they can go out and spend and make their entire organization better. And I think people sit around and go, oh, my God, Tyreek Hill is gone. What are they going to do? He's gonna miss Patrick Mahomes more than Patrick Mahomes misses him because he's going to Miami to play for Tua and a coach that nobody knows anything about. So I think it's good for the Kansas City Chiefs because they got a lot in return and they're able to go out there and make the team better. I mean, the dirty little secret is they weren't exactly great at the end of last year. Patrick Mahomes, in the, the final game, was not very good. I think teams had started to figure this team out with the way that they were playing them against defense, you know, defensively and not letting anybody get deep on them, and they couldn't really take advantage of anything else. So they need to improve on on the offensive side, but they also need to improve on defense. Their defensive line stunk last year, and they need to find guys in the draft that can be young and cheap and and be able to get to the quarterback, and then they need to get some more defensive backs. So with those five picks that they were able to pick up from Miami, I think you're looking at a better overall organization by not having Tyreek Hill there because you have the picks, you can get younger, you can get better, and you're going to save a ton of money on the salary cap.
1: Was Tyreek Hill moved just because of money, or was there some other things this year – that uh, maybe freaked out the Chiefs a little bit?
4: Well, no, they tried to get him signed to a long-term deal. I think at the end of the day, they, they offered him $67 million in guaranteed money, and the Miami Dolphins were like, we'll go $72 million in guaranteed money. And the Chiefs really don't want to pay a wide receiver quarterback money. They were willing to go a little bit more with Tyreek because of what he's been able to accomplish in the relationship, obviously, with Patrick Mahomes. But once the Miami Dolphins got involved and they were willing to give up five draft picks and pay the $72 million, I and mean, the Raiders screwed it all up. Had they gotten the deal done before Devontae Adams is traded, Tyreek Hill is here in Kansas City. But he saw that deal get done and he wanted to be the highest paid receiver. And he's 28 years old and the Chiefs weren't about to make him the highest paid receiver.
1: Do you replace uh, Tyreek with a trade for a big name receiver or is it all draft? You know, I think at this point in time for me, unless
4: it's going to be DK Metcalf, who's still young enough but would still cost a lot of money, I think you got to go through the draft. It seems like a pretty stacked wide receiver draft from what everybody's telling you. I mean, I saw a mock today that has a kid from North Dakota State as a wide receiver going in the first round of the Chiefs. And so if you got a kid like that that's still available in the first round, it kind of tells you it's a pretty good draft, right? So I think they need to go through the draft. I still think they need to get younger at that position and, and clearly cheaper because you're paying $45 million for the quarterback. You're paying twenty. $20 million dollars for a defensive tackle in Chris Jones and Travis Kelsey isn't cheap either so they're gonna have to find a way to do it differently than they've done before and it doesn't have to be a direct Tyree kill replacement it could be somebody that's different and as I've been saying different doesn't always mean worse different can mean just something that's new and something that we haven't seen before and it could ultimately be better.
1: Bob Fesco's is with us 610 Sports our path to the draft as the uh, Chiefs are up at 30 and 29 So they have all these picks. They could move up, but I guess uh, Veach was never actually moved up in the draft. So does he just stay put or do they get aggressive?
4: Well, you know, there was a the rumor I heard they love the kid uh, Garrett Wilson from uh, Ohio State, and they would have to give up both first and their top second pick to move up to the top five to be able to get him and to be able to get you know him into Kansas City. I don't know if it's worth it to do that. Personally, for where I am, I'd like to just stay at 29 and 30 and see what happens. Now, if there's a receiver that you love that's fallen and fallen, and you could jump up a couple of spots to get him. But I don't think I would give up three picks to move up to draft one player. I don't know that that necessarily solves all the holes that are still on your team and like I said defensive line is still an issue defensive back which they've never really gotten that heavy with in the draft they usually find guys as street free agents back there or just a regular free agent to play you know defensive back but th- there's still a bunch of holes on this team that need to be filled I still think they may need a, a right tackle on this team
1: Bob Pesco's with us we're talking Chiefs and the draft coming up right here in Las Vegas some other offseason stuff are you surprised that the Honey Badger has had such a tough time hooking on with someone else
4: I'm surprised because there's always a team out there that's willing to pay somebody that has a name, money that they shouldn't get. And I, I think this, the, the dirty little secret is he wasn't that good last year. I mean, you, you try to think of moments that, that you know he had, and you think of the Baltimore Ravens game, second game of the season, the pick six. After that, there's not much else. I think he is a victim of being just about 30 years old, seeing the end in front of him, and the rest of the teams have seen the end in front of him before he has and he also runs hot on the sidelines and sometimes teams don't want to deal with a guy who's up and down and up and down and up and down but he's a saint of a human being I was not his foundation board i love the guy to death but i think his time playing and, and being a productive player in the nfl i think it came really really fast for him for fans they're having a hard time understanding why he's not back here but this is a young guy's league, and only he's only 29, but that 30-year mark is really important to the Chiefs, and guys who get around that mark, they're really not given a lot of money to to come back. But I'm surprised another team has not signed him because, like I said, teams spend money all the time on 18 veterans.
1: It's early to look at uh, NFL futures, but we'll do it. We'll do it before the draft. Uh, first of all, I need a couple of questions answered before I start firing on the Chiefs for the division and the win total. Uh, one... Matt Nagy's back. Uh, from what we hear, Eric Bieniemy. I mean, there may be you know a little bit of heat between him and Mahomes at times. Is this whole thing gonna work? This whole mix gonna work this season? Yeah,
4: I think it will because Nagy's been here before and Nagy understands, you know, where he came from and, and you know, what Andy Reid has done for his career and, and how he's worked his way up with Andy Reid, not just in the Chiefs organization, but the Eagles organization as well. And I think Eric Bieniemy still wants a head coaching job. And I think, you know, you got to continually go out there and, and, and do your best and put – you know, personal stuff aside and and try to make things work. And I I think it will. I think these guys are professionals. And, look, they know what they have in Mahomes, and they know the Andy Reid window isn't going to be open forever. And I think they all want to capitalize and try to win another championship here before you start to get further and further removed from the one that they won. And you go, are they ever going to win another one? You don't want to be like Aaron Rodgers here.
1: If I want to bet the Chiefs, do I have to worry about Brittany and Jackson being a giant pain in the ass and a distraction of Patrick Mahomes?
4: I think Patrick Mahomes does an amazing job of compartmentalizing things and figuring out a way to put all that you know, off-the-field stuff you know, behind him. I think he does a great job with that, and, and you can tell just how focused he is every single week because in all of his press conferences, you just get those textbook answers, and he still goes out there and plays fairly well. I mean, we criticized him this year, but at the end of the day, he's like 4,800 yards and close to 50 touchdowns again.
1: Bob, you are the man. We appreciate the time. Thank you. You got it, my friend. Take care. Thanks for having me. There he is, Bob Fesco, 6'10 Sports in Kansas City. The NFL Draft takes over Las Vegas April 28th through the 30th, and you can be there to witness it live. We've got the NFL Fan Fest featuring player appearances, photo ops, live concerts, and more, and it's all free with the NFL One Pass app. Register now. Visit NFL.com slash NFL One Pass. NFL Draft in Las Vegas, brought to you by Bud Light.
0: Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co.,